You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome to episode 49 of Distilling Theology. This week, we're joined by our friends from Assurance of Pardon, Scott and Gage, and we sit down and talk about Christians drinking alcohol, did Jesus make wine or grape juice, and a whole bunch of other fun things. But before we jump into that episode, we wanted to let you know that Glassware is coming. We're working through the final logistical details to make that available, so stay tuned. As soon as it's ready, we will let you know how to get a hold of those Distilling Theology Glencairn glasses. But in the meantime, head over to shopdistillingtheology.com, and you can get a hold of our new Covenant Theology Is Distilled Theology merchandise. We've got some apparel. We've got a mug. We've still got our Bob Quote mugs. There's a lot happening, so be sure to head over there and check that out. Now, without further ado, here we go to episode 49. Well, first of all, let me just say hello to Blake and to Justin from Distilling Theology, our favorite podcast, the podcast we hope our podcast grows up to become. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> absolutely oh, true. Man. <laughs> minus, the, uh, minus the 1689 federalism. But other than that, listen. Yeah, that's okay, yeah. <laughs> we like diversity in the church. <laughs> that's a slippery slope, brother. Um, <laughs> Yeah, many, many great denominations fell after that. (laughs) So we have been studying uh, throughout season two, we've been talking about unhelpful Christian phrases, and we decided that for our season finale, we would deal with an unhelpful Christian phrase or an unhelpful Christian sort of uh, uh, thought out there. Um, And it, it goes like this, Jesus didn't drink wine. Jesus didn't make wine. Uh, at the wedding feast at Cana, that was grape juice. Um, the, the water was bad back in those days. And so they, 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 this is, it, it, you've heard it all. Uh, oh, yeah. the, 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 they, they, they take the miracle of turning water into wine and they turned it into the miracle of turning wine into Welch's grape juice. <laughs> mm. uh, so, this is a uh, not so much a statement, an unhelpful phrase like God helps those who help themselves or cleanliness is next to godliness, but it is a, a prevalent thought in, in a lot of conservative circles that if you are a Christian, if you love Jesus, you will, you will stay away from alcohol because that's what the Bible. Uh, go ahead, Blake. Uh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, uh, you will stay away from alcohol. And so as we unpack that phrase and debunk that urban legend in the church, no drinking for Christians, as we unpack that, we thought who better to have on to discuss it with us than, our, than the wettest uh, uh, Christian, uh, you know, you have dry counties and wet counties, the wettest <laughs> podcast on the internet in the reformed world, distilling theology. So we've got Blake and Justin. So I want to put that on a t-shirt, the wettest (laughs) podcast. Let's not, let's not. And 
It, that's just asking for, for an internet trollage. Can we not? <laughs> but we will ask a good question. Guys, what are we drinking? Ooh, so I picked up this Founders All Day Session IPA. It is, uh, or IPA, it's a session ale. Comes in this 19.2 ounce can, which is a little excessive, but it's only 4.7% alcohol by volume. So much lighter than the uh, 123 proof alcohol we were tasting last night. So this is, you know, yes, this is nice and light. It's crisp and it's, uh, it's like the things that I like about IPAs, like kind of juicy and, and, uh, full, full flavor, full body. So I'm a big fan. What about you guys? Yeah, that, that is a good one. Um, I am sipping Sierra Nevada's hop bullet, uh, also comes in a 19.2 ounce can, uh, except it is a double IPA and it is 8%. Um, and it's it's a bit stronger, but it has a similar sort of uh, smooth foundation that you get from the all day uh, IPA from Founders. It's a very similar, uh, easy to drink for a double IPA. It's very light uh, and refreshing. So, cheers. Scott, what about you? Well, I'm going to go last because I've got the best beer, and so I'm going to go last. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so I'm actually drinking uh, tr- Trotwood Lager. Um, from the Warped Wing Brewing Company um, in Dayton, Ohio. Um, one of our uh, deacons at Christchurch, where I was an intern before I came on staff at uh, First Prez, um, his brother works at a brewing uh, company. And every time they go up to see their family, he always comes back with local Dayton, Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio beer. Um, and so the Trotwood Lager is one of my favorites. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm the eldest member of this uh, esteemed panel, and uh, I've been drinking alcohol before since before some of you guys were born. Uh, and I'm drinking uh, Franzis Connor, which is a German wheat beer uh, made by Spaten since the year 1363, and made by German monks since 1363. It is the greatest beer in the whole world. And it, every everything else pales in comparison to this. So my sympathies to all of you who are not drinking. This is the the beer of all beers. And I'll tell you, most people the first beer they drink is something horrible, right? They have a sure. Bud, but they have a Miller Lite or Budweiser or Ice. A, oh yeah, or, or a, a, a Milwaukee's water. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and and by the and and <laughs> the Dasani fir- water. The first, the first beer I ever drank was, was this, and uh, it kind of ruins you for most other beers. Uh, there's a German restaurant in the town that I'm in, the Steinhaus Keller, and I, uh, I, I went in there 20-something uh, years ago, and I was not a beer drinker, and this is what they served me. And so I've, it really kind of changed my palate a great deal. It's a, it's a cool bar. The bartender, uh, before he passed away, uh, was a big advocate of German beers. And people would come in, and they would say, hey, I've never had a German beer. Um, uh, what's it like? Uh, I don't, you got a big beer menu. And he'd say, I'll tell you what. You tell me what kind of beer you usually drink. And I'll get you, I'll bring you something that will taste like it. And if they said Miller Lite or Bud Light or Budweiser or Coors or something like that, he would leave and he would come back and he would set a glass of water in front of him. (laughs) Epic. I was going to say, you you mentioned that other beers pale in comparison, as would say, I would hope so, because this is an Indian 
pale ale. <laughs> I was waiting for the pale <laughs> jokes. The pale ale Stop jokes. Stop it. That's terrible. <laughs> Listen, we advertise dad jokes, so we must bring dad jokes. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. Clearly. Fair enough. That's good stuff. Fair enough. All right. Well, well, men, the, the, the topic on the table for us to unpack is doesn't the Bible make it abundantly clear backwards and forwards from Genesis to Revelation that if you are a Christian, you will run, not walk away from alcohol. That's why Jesus' first miracle, public miracle, was turning water into alcohol at a party. And not just alcohol. No, no, no. no, That was was grape juice. Right. That's why it's the same Greek word that's used in the text that says, be not drunk with wine. Right. Um, yeah, dude, haven't you ever had a sugar one rush one from one grape juice? Stuff. Definitely messed up. The <laughs> Definitely had the runs with too much grape juice. I've all never right, had a sugar all right, all right, all right. But, but that, you know, that I that was one of the easier things that I've come across when somebody showed me just those two texts, like being not drunk with wine. Okay, well, that's oños, and what is it in the the miracle at Cana? It's not just oños; it's very good oños. Like Jesus made really nice wine and they were like what are you doing bringing this out now after people had already been consuming the the less good wine so that's kind of you know yeah it wasn't like he brought it out at the beginning at a to a dry scene like well and that and that's even in that the whole deal is you know back then weddings would have been a week-long event and mm-hmm. so the whole thing with bringing out the the less good wine, right? The the cheap wine, the the box wine, if you will, um, for three or four days into the wedding celebration is because they would have been, uh, you know, too um, involved, if you will, to to notice, you know. And so <laughs> even that to itself, no one no one notices the variations of grape juice. Like that's not a conversation of, yeah. oh, you brought, you brought me the, the great value brand instead of the Welch's like no one, no one brings the Sam choice. Well, Southern Baptists might, might be able to distinguish between those two things. They don't make a lot of distinctions, but they might make that one. Oh, I, I could, I could tell it, by the way, for our listeners, the, obviously the, the text we're talking about is in John chapter two, yep. Christ's first recorded miracle. And yeah, if, if you read this narrative from John, there is the, the text and the miracle is just absolutely nonsensical if you're talking about grape juice. So right. Jesus, you know, his, his, uh, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Mm-hmm. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there was six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 <clears throat> or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So like, and this would be the DJ, right? This is who this guy is, right? He's the, <laughs> he's the, he is the, the MC of the, of the party. Take it to the master of feast. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, this is the part to everyone 
serve the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Anybody who has ever drank any amount gets that completely uh, of alcohol. That that part makes absolutely no sense. You have just got to absolutely do hermeneutical gymnastics to make that make any sense if you're talking about grape juice. Yeah, or origami <laughs> with a text. You also have, you know, we've been talking about this all series, <clears throat> trying to get people to critically think. You also have to have a historical issue um, when it comes to grape juice because uh, Welch's was actually put together by a Methodist minister and that didn't occur until the 1900s. So if it's yeah. grape juice, we've got a, a 1900 uh, year time travel issue. That's what makes it a miracle, right, Gage. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they also didn't have like fridges and modern equipment to like prevent fermentation for periods of time and things like that. Um, and I think too, when you were talking about the, you know, that particular miracle happening, and then you look at the whole account of scripture and you look at the other places where it talks about wine, um, like Psalm 104, it says wine is a gift to gladden the heart. Well, grape juice wouldn't do that doesn't make sense <laughs> why would that gladden your heart i mean you know if anything it's going to make you more thirsty <laughs> so. well, and, and also in the passages where there are references to the sin of drunkenness mm-hmm. right um there are references to wine like like so you and obviously you can become you can commit the sin of drunkenness if you consume too much wine, but that's, you know, like good Presbyterians, we're going to make distinctions here um, and distinguish between um, like just consuming alcohol in a general sense and consuming it to a sinful point. Right. Um, and I know that there's a lot of, there's a lot of conversation to be had there about, you know, different people's backgrounds and different situations. But the, the broader point that I'm trying to, to draw out just from that is we can't just say blanket statement, all alcohol is bad for all Christians all the time. And if you consume any alcohol, if you have any alcohol in your home, you're in sin, which is largely, uh, at least from what I've gathered in, in my own experiences, what is meant by this kind of phrase or mentality uh, that, we're, that we're looking at tonight is not so much, because obviously we would all affirm that drunkenness is a sin. Right. Um, but like, I, I don't know anyone who will get drunk off of a couple of sips of wine. I know people who will get a little goofy, but not, I, I've never seen anyone get drunk from a sip of wine um, or a sip of beer. Like it, it does require ex- excess. Um, I don't know that that's just a starting point maybe for another, another thought process. Yeah. Well, the, the fact that a, the fact that a good gift of God can be abused Sure. does not mean that that good gift of God is not a good gift, right? Oh, right. Someone, someone famously said to Martin Luther, maybe we should do away with alcohol because people abuse alcohol. And Luther famously said, people abuse women. I don't think we should get rid of them. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I had the Amen. same conversation with a, a, a friend of ours uh, who is a pastor who argued uh, very violently against alcohol and uh, cited that exact idea, the idea, well, I've seen it abused so much. I said, well, I've seen 
food abused to the point where people are gluttons and right. like crazy. We don't say, well, now food is bad or uh, just because sex is abused constantly, especially in our culture, doesn't mean that it's inherently bad. Right. Um, We'd all be in a lot of trouble if we were like, nope. <laughs> right. You know what? Culture has totally abused uh, intimacy between a man and a woman. And so we're just going to all be, um, <laughs> like, we're going to have a very bad time very quickly. <laughs> right. We'll have no, right. no children to pass that on to. But right. Uh, anyway, or food. Yeah. Like it, yeah. You, you abuse food. So now food is off the table. I mean, I'm, I've been known to abuse Oreos once in a while. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> yes. So, but if you stopped eating, you would die. Right. So <laughs> that again, it comes down to critical thinking skills. Right. And, and, but some of it, even from a personal <clears throat> level, oftentimes people, when they, when they say this, right, they, there's normally a background involved. Sure. Now, full mm-hmm. disclosure, my dad was an alcoholic. His dad was an alcoholic. And, you know, it, it's rumored that even their, my great granddad was an alcoholic, right? That they didn't know how to process uh, what we would now classify as PTSD from war because great granddad was in World War I, granddad was in World War II, and dad got drafted into Vietnam. They didn't know how to process the, the trauma and the experiences they had, so they gave themselves over to alcohol. I was told my entire life by um, well-meaning um, believers that if I ever took a sip of alcohol, it would, it would lead me into this, this period of drunkenness that I couldn't escape myself. And that's just not, that's just not true on, on any, at any level that, because you wouldn't apply that to any other thing in life. But for some reason, when it comes to alcohol and really honestly, only since the 20th century, right? Like prior to, prior to prohibition, the church, you know, Scott shared a, the beer he's drinking has got a monk on it, right? Like prior to prohibition, the church universal was actually the leading manufacturer of beer in the world. That leads me to just a little bit of an anecdotal story. Uh, The founder of Guinness, uh, right? The the reason he founded Guinness was to get the hard liquor off the streets so that people still had something they could enjoy without uh, overwhelmingly getting themselves wasted and causing all kinds of problems. It was actually being a blessing to the community as a Christian, uh, as a you know, to, to, to provide them with something that they could honor and and enjoy and not abuse so, so easily. Um, And, and therefore, you know, now we have this, we have Guinness now, which has been around for forever now. And it's like um, that mindset of the Christian wanting to bless the community by providing beer, <laughs> you know, it just seems so counterintuitive now in, in, in our very Western fundamentalist circles. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. And we can put that in the show notes. Uh, uh, Justin, you referenced that there's a, a great, a great book by Stephen Mansfield called mm-hmm. the search for God and Guinness, Guinness, mm-hmm. a biography of the beer that changed the world. Yeah. Uh, great book about the history of Guinness. Uh, we read it as a church as a, in one of our small groups. So a few years ago, we had that's a awesome. We had a uh, uh, we had a men's uh, group called Books, Beer, and Banter. Uh, it was kind of a book club. Could also be the tagline for distilling theology. <laughs> yeah, Man, yeah. So I mean, and and you run it. You do run into that. The fact that the fact that alcoholism is a thing. Right. Mm-hmm. No denying sure. the fact that it is a thing. You run into. I think some of our 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 um, our evangelical friends who are who 
are rightly worried about alcoholism mm -hmm. and they've seen the, the the real carnage that it can have on people and so they'll say well we're not saying it's a sin we're just saying it's a wisdom issue and so it's just unwise i know the bible allows it but we think it's unwise but at the end of the day essentially when you when you do that you're you're actually um you're actually binding a man's conscience in an area that scripture has not mm -hmm. so right. you're mm -hmm. saying i know that god put the fence here but you know really it needs to be here which is the definition of legalism the legalism is defining the christian life more strictly than the scripture does this is seen in other areas too where uh again i think if there's one one thing that's abused more than alcohol uh in the world it's sex right and the line is clearly marriage um but there have been there have been people in people groups who have said no it can only be for for recreation or not for recreation for pro for procreation and anything outside of that is, is a sin or it's you know it's it's uh -huh. sick or it could lead to something bad and therefore that's the only time it can so it's like it's that same line of reasoning but it, it still leads to by uh, unnecessarily binding the consciences of our brethren when i like uh you guys are probably all very familiar with this quote from martin luther um, when he was asked about how he, you know, uh, took down the papacy and took on the world, basically. And he says, while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or, or uh, emperor ever inflicted such loss upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. And I don't know about you guys, but my, my experience, and I've, like I said, I, with you guys, I've seen people abuse alcohol. I was a bartender. I witnessed firsthand uh, seeing people that I had to cut off and say, you're done and how belligerent they became at the, the very notion that somebody was saying no to them for, mm -hmm. for participating in something. Right. And so I'm very familiar with the reality of it. And yet at the same time, some of the greatest conversations I've ever had among fellow believers has been over a pint or over a dram of whiskey yep. mm -hmm. um, especially brothers in the faith and other pastors. And there's a quote here from Carl Truman that I thought uh, is fitting to our discussion here. He says, drinking beer with friends is perhaps the most underestimated of all reformation insights and mm -hmm. essential to ongoing reform and wasting time with a choice friend or two on a regular basis might be the best investment of time you ever make. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a beautiful and articulate and very British uh, capturing of what I've experienced. Some of the greatest times in my life have been sitting with a few brothers in the faith around the campfire, drinking a beer, drinking a whiskey. We're not necessarily talking theology or the deep things. We're just being in community with one another. Mm -hmm. We're just being the yep. body of Christ. Like, you know what I mean? We're just Amen. enjoying fellowship with other believers. It's not like everything's all hyper-spiritualized the way that, that and formal in, and uh, religious um, like dead religion, in other words, you know what I mean? Like there's, sure. there's zeal there that's joyous to be around each other. And oftentimes those conversations turn to uh, theology because my friends I was gonna say, Blake, that's not my experience with you. Every time we sit around drinking whiskey, it ends up in some sort of deep theological conversation. Yeah. <laughs> well, Super lapsarianism. Yeah. lapsarianism. Uh, divine <laughs> yeah. simplicity and how, uh, how yes. it relates to the Trinity. And yeah, it gets. I have to have a couple of beers to talk about that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In both Without hands. Like, yeah. I, 
You know, I, Gage and I both have I, I, about two, two and a half years ago, we started here at Hope Church in Hot Springs. We started a Bible study called Theology on Tap, mm-hmm. uh, and we met at a pub in downtown Hot Springs, a craft, uh, a pub called Craft Beer Cellar, um, and it, it was a small little pub, and we would have, um, you know, fifteen people sitting around a big table, Bibles open, beer in hand, studying the Bible, and beer people would hand. walk in. And they would kind of do a double take, and they would kind of look at us like, "Right." And this is a this being a a proper pub. You went up to the bar to order order, so they didn't have they didn't have barmaids or anything that came over and took your order. And so sometimes Ooh, while the Bible said we'd be going on, I would get up and would walk over to the bar, and so there I'd walk past a couple tables of people, or up to the bar to order, and invariably every time there would be somebody going, "Hey." I don't mean to be nosy, but what are you guys doing over there? Yep. <laughs> and yep. I said, uh, oh, we're having a Bible study. Uh, I'm, we're from a local church, and we're having a Bible study. And then, like, one of the people would elbow the other one and go, I told you that's what they were doing. <laughs> yes. And, you know, the incredulous person would be like, really? You're having a Bible study? That's awesome. That's, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> and sometimes they would say, can we come and sit down? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it happened over and over. We're in a, we're in a hot springs. This is a tourism town. It's a, the largest tourism destination in Arkansas. And we were in the, in the historic downtown area. Mm-hmm. So quite often we have a, a family sit down or uh, um, another, I had other pastors who were in town and they would sit down and we had just great conversations around that. And I would go to, um, I would go get together with some clergy here in in our town because word spread like wildfire that there's this pastor in town who's holding a Bible study at a bar. And like, so some of these Baptist brothers of mine who I love dearly would, would like pull me aside and they'll be like, did we hear that you're having a Bible study at a bar? And I go, <laughs> yeah, do you want to come? And they'll be like, no. I was like, you don't like Bible study? <laughs> And they're like, I couldn't go there. And I go, let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to have a Bible study at Outback Steakhouse? And all of them said, yeah. I go, what about Chili's? Sure. Applebee's? Yeah. I go, the only difference between craft beer cellar and the places I just named is those places sell way more beer. Right? Like... You know, like, would you have one at Walmart? Or would you have one? <laughs> I mean, like, the, the, the ridiculousness is that yeah. they, they, they're holding a standard that they can't even consistently hold yeah, if sure. they're going to go almost anywhere um, outside. So they would be willing to have it. They, they, they go, they go and they visit mm-hmm. Outback Steakhouse and they mm-hmm. go to Applebee's and they go to Chili's and they go to TGI Fridays uh, and they go to these, these restaurants that serve tons of alcohol, but this was a pub. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of taboo. Yeah. Well, and and said, it, you know, the, the, uh, and, and um, they would say, but, but do you drink when you're there? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. Of course. And they're like, well, and then maybe they would say, well, you know, if I would, I would kind of engage these friends of mine about the idea of a Christian drinking alcohol. And then they would say, well, okay, but I wouldn't want any of the youth in our church to see me doing it. 
To which I say, you know, Jesus picked grain on the Sabbath to to correct the the Pharisees' wrong understanding of what that was about, mm-hmm. and and, yeah. and you need to correct the wrong understanding some may have as to what what yeah. alcohol uh, yeah. is about. Gage, you started to say something. Yeah, you know, it, and we actually started a, a theology on tap in Conway. Um, kind of based off of what you guys are doing. We came and spent a month with you um, and kind of learned, sent four Tuesday nights in a row, sitting down, figuring out what was going on and how you did it and, and how it flowed and how people interacted and all that. And then launched one here that's still going on. Um, it's actually, uh, they just moved to a new location because of the, the restaurant that we were at still isn't open because of COVID. I don't know that it's going to be able to open back up, but um yeah, we every week we would have people come over and go, "Are you guys having a Bible study?" Like, really? Or I'd have friends of mine that I that I went to college with, um, you know, and I went to Baptist undergrad, and you know, I would have friends I went to college with that would text me and said, "I would love to come to your Bible study, but if I if, if somehow you guys took a picture and it ended up on social media, I'd lose my job, yeah. or I would get." reprimanded at church or, or whatever. And I was like, well, then you probably should maybe get a different job. So as the Baptist of the group, (laughs) I want to reprimand all the Baptists that are listening and who are of that persuasion, get over it, enjoy a beer to the glory of God. It's not a problem. And uh, if there's one, if there's one thing that I have qualms with, with the Baptists in America, it's this exact issue. Yeah, for it's sure. A failure to distinguish. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for. Thank you for. That's the. That's the best thing I've heard from a Baptist today. And uh, I. I love the Babylon Bee headline that says Baptists rejoicing that they can now wear masks yeah. to the liquor store. Yes. And you know it's 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 funny to me. You know I I grew up in a context um, where like alcohol was never a weird thing. Like we would we would take. We would have wine with communion even when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad had offered me, what a concept, right? Uh, my dad had offered me a beer when I was a teenager and we were hiking somewhere and like I, my knee had dislocated and I was in pain and I was, I think it was like 18 or nine, but it was never weird. It was never this taboo subject that I was like, I think, I think when I was 15 or 14 or something, he offered me a sip of his beer and I was like, that's gross. Like, why would I drink that? So there, there was no like... Ooh, I got to sneak out of the house. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it, it, I, in my experience, that context of like not making it weird um, benefited me. And then when I went to college and I turned 21, cause I was a good, you know, responsible uh, person. When I, when I went, I was friends with all the residents yeah. <laughs> and all the small group leaders like me. And so we would go out to the local public house because we weren't allowed to drink with residents, but we could drink with the other student leaders and we couldn't come back drunk. So like we would all go out together, but it was this whole experience of, okay, what, what do you like? What, like, what taste do you like? Cause I drank coffee and I drank tea and things. And so I described that and they'd be like, Oh, okay. So what you want to try is this brown ale. And are you getting these notes? And like, it became this whole experience, which is largely right. color. My perception of alcohol is it's about fellowship and it's about enjoying God's good gifts and frankly, the one or two times in my life that I've been over the line where I have been, I, I would say, sinful in my consumption, right? I hate it. Like, I'm, if you've ever been hung over, it is the worst feel. Like, it is so miserable. And afterwards, I'm like, what have I done? Like, not only just right. the sinful, but just physically, you feel terrible. And it's like, and I hate that sense of, of 
disconnection. Like I, for me, it's just, you know, a beer or two, a whiskey or two, just enjoy some time with friends, but it's about the socialness. It's about the enjoyment of the thing for its own sake, not for the end of, um, well, I, I think there's another aspect. Of, you know, feelings, yeah. I think there's another aspect of of um, you know we're called to do things with excellence, right? And so um, I think there's kind of a beauty in taking all these different things that God has created and creating this unique, enjoyable product in this incredibly complex. Like uh, in particular for us, you know, the distilled uh, spirits are it's such a complex process yeah. to make whiskeys in, in, in all these things. And so it's a really cool kind of way to like, say, okay, I'm making my living and honoring God by creating these really unique and cool flavors and, um, and, and doing my best at doing that. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, and, and for me personally, it's, it's an opportunity, um, of thankfulness and worship. And I know that sounds crazy, for, for some people to process, but like, again, my, my, I have three generations of alcoholism Mm. and they drank to try to mask and cover up and numb the things that they were feeling and the things that they were struggling with and the shame, the guilt that they felt about actions that they uh, did. I don't have any of that because all that's been carried out in Jesus. Mm. So like I can have a beer or I can have bourbon or I can have scotch or whatever. And I can go, you know what? This, this isn't going to master me. I have a master. His name's Jesus. I'm not drinking because I'm trying to drown out my sorrows. Mm-hmm. I have the church. If I'm, if I'm broken, if I'm, if I'm yeah. um, despondent or if I'm mourning or if I'm struggling, I, you know, like I don't have to, to cover that up with alcohol because I have the gospel. And I don't mean that in a super spiritual sense at all. I mean that in a real sense of, of my, all of my fears and shame and guilt and anything else that, that sin would affect uh, my lack of my dad being around all that fun stuff. I don't have to drink because of that. Cause all that's been carried out in Jesus. I have a new family because of Jesus. I have a dad who's never going to, fail me. Um, I have a father who ge- gives good gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights, right? Like, mm-hmm. so um, there, there's that aspect. There's also the reality that historically as reform guys, the reformation happened over beer, right? Like one of yeah. our favorite podcasts that we all kind of owe to is the white horse Inn, right? And how does the, everybody knows the intro, right? Five centuries ago and, and taverns and, and public houses that's talking about pubs and bars, <laughs> like the reformation happened, right? We all have by this time, I'm sure have seen Hamilton at least once. Well, the whole thing starts with them being at a pub and the, the American revolution launched in a bar, right? Like um, Luther, there's, there's love letters to his bride that you can go and find and read where he said, you know, he's traveling around fighting the good fight of justification by faith alone. And one of the things he says is sweetheart, I miss your beer. The what the, your recipe is what I'm thinking about right now. I wish I had your beer, right? Calvin, when he negotiated his salary in Geneva requested X amount of gallons a year of wine. Like that there is a, there, we have hundreds. Wish we could do that now. Yeah. Hey, you, you laugh. (laughs) My my buddy, Michael kid, um, he actually, he has 
um, church members that make the wine for communion. And one of the things that, that he went and said was, hey, can I renegotiate this to get get a gallon? <laughs> you know, you can't because. Okay, but know, first of all, that's awesome. Not to interrupt your thought process there, but I think we should all have elders in the church or members of the church that are making the wine for communion. Because and the bread. Amazing. For that matter. And the, and the bread. The oh my gosh. Homemade yeah, bread, man. Homemade bread for communion. Yeah, man. So that's, you know, that's the thing is. Well, we use unleavened bread, so. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's, that's the thing is, is we've got history behind um, everything that makes us who we are now are the, the heroes of the faith. We were talking about Hebrews before we started recording. Like <laughs> we, we have all of that indebted to yeah. good conversations over alcohol. I had, a, I had a good mentor that would say, Hey, good things happen over food. Well, I mean, even our very supper comes mm-hmm. over the breaking of bread and the pouring out of wine. Cause it's a mm-hmm. picture of Jesus's broken body and shed blood. Like that should tell you the level to which the good gift is being used. And while the, the bread remains red bread and the wine remains wine, like at the end of the day, though, the, the creator of the universe took on flesh and used a very common thing to, to ch- change us, you mm-hmm. know, and yeah. bring and strengthen our faith. Yeah. Uh, a few thoughts as mm-hmm. I listen to you guys talk through that is if we, if we think about what the scripture says, if we are going to actually look at the totality of scriptures as they relate to alcohol, what we're going to find is there are way more scriptures extolling the beauty of alcohol, extolling God's good gifts in giving us fermented drink. We're going to find more passages about that than we're going to find about passages about drunkenness. And even those passages about drunkenness are not anti-alcohol passages. They're anti-abusing God's good gifts passages. Right. And so if you think about Psalm 104, um, yep. The psalmist says, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. So what I worry about teetotalism in the church is that what we do is we find ourselves calling sinful that which God has called good. Mm-hmm. which is a blasphemous position to be in. And so I think we need to boldly approach our brothers and sisters who are calling alcohol sinful and say, uh, brother, sister, you are calling something wicked that God has called good. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be in your shoes. That is a, that is a bad idea to call <laughs> wicked that which God has called good. Yeah, that is a, a I, I know you have good intentions, but that is not where you want to be. And and just the whole idea, the idea of teetotalism, the idea that Christians don't drink is a incredibly modern idea. It's it's yeah. the fidget yeah. spinner of doctrines. Right. It's very recent. <laughs> and, and, you know, the first the first permanent building that the pilgrims made that yeah. they constructed when they landed here was a brewery like that's the first permanent structure they made mm. um and and, and you know, people always want to want to talk about the pilgrims as being puritanical uh, i'm like well but they they had a brewery so <laughs> so there's that yeah well so scripturally speaking an abundance of wine was always a part of a blessing 
right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Proverbs 3 talks about uh, there's a promise that those who are generous towards God will be blessed with plenty of food and wine. You know, yeah. uh, you can see in Deuteronomy that uh, the lack of good food and good wine is a curse. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. And also, I wanted to, to um, gauge this comment a couple of minutes ago as you know, and this is a matter of personal conscience. So I'm not here to bind anyone's conscience. This is just my own personal right. rule. Like I typically once or twice a year, um, sometimes a couple of, you know, every four months or so, I will take like a week or two weeks or a month and go dry. Just not, not out of any sort of moralism right. or legalism, just for, you know, just to do it, just to enjoy, you know, that time. And then, and then to look forward to, enjoying alcohol with my friends again. It was weird when I did that for a month when I was bartending, that was kind of a funny time. Cause I was like the dry bartender. Um, but in the midst of it, you know, at the same time, like I have, you know, we all have personal convictions. We all have things where we need to, you know, sort them out and wisdom, frankly, to search out with the elders in our church. Like for myself, I know, you know, and I've been in a bit of a rough time this week in particular, and God's been gracious to me and he's given me joy and, you know, so I haven't cut myself off and said, well, I can't consume any alcohol, but you know, I've gone quite a few nights this week where I said, nah, no, thanks. I won't do it. You know, I won't do anything just because I know I don't want to leave any room for sin. And in this particular instance, I know, okay, there's a temptation maybe there. Yeah. I think so there's wisdom, you know, I, my point with that isn't that you need to adopt my mentality there. My point is there's godly prudence in how we approach this good gift. Right. And I know for myself, there may be more of a temptation in a difficult season um, to abuse a gift than when things are good. And that's okay. That's my, you know, that's my thing. And I think for each of us in the, in our context with our elders uh, we can seek what that wisdom looks like for us. Cause for some people that may not be an issue, you know? Yeah. Right. I, I was going to say, um, I think it's important too, that we recognize that there may be people who choose to abstain and that's fine. Like that, that, like, there's no, there's no command that you must drink um, by any means. Uh, So if, you know, if you're out there and you're listening and and, and you're hearing, you're hearing all of us talking uh, very positively about, about uh, alcohol, like don't, don't feel obligated. Like if you feel like number one, you might struggle, uh, obviously abstain. Um, And and I think there's, there's uh, times that we should abstain, uh, you know, as a matter of prudence. uh, So we don't cause our brothers to stumble if there's someone uh, who, who might struggle with alcoholism or something like that. Um, there's times to exercise uh, discernment and not to flaunt the Christian liberty that we have, um, because I feel like that can often become an issue too. Where yes, we we've, we're we're enjoying this gift that God has given us, uh, but let's not let's not uh, be, put ourselves in a position where we're flaunting it and saying, "Ha ha!" You know, you know, look at sure. this. And, um, right. You know, so I think we have to be careful. But uh, I think that's just the the pendulum swing to the other side of. Uh, of what Scott was saying about um, uh, calling evil um, what God has called good. We, we don't want a pendulum swing and go the other way and <laughs> do that either. Yeah. I, I'll, uh, I, I want to read you guys a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 14. Uh, God is giving, God is ex- instructing the Israelites on how they are to tithe. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it says, it says in Deuteronomy 20, uh, 14, it says, and if the way is too long for you so that you're not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set uh, to set his name there, 
then you shall turn it this this tithe you shall turn it into money because the, the tithe was you know crops or whatever you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the lord god chooses and spend the money this is your tithe and spend the money for whatever you desire oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink whatever your appetite craves and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. Amen. Beautiful, beautiful cool, instruction to the children of Israel that when you cannot, uh, uh, for them, when they could not get always get to the place to bring the tithe, then buy some wine and enjoy it, you and your household. And again, so you see the, you see the, when you understand what's going on there, you see the, the wickedness of calling, calling evil, calling wicked that which God has, has definitively pronounced as good. So yeah, there are, there are areas of, of personal prudence and wisdom where, where the elders of a church may look at a brother and go, brother, you need to quit drinking. Brother, you can't drink. I, I sat down with a. I sat down with somebody uh, uh, one time who was an alcoholic, and I said, and he was, and and I, and he's talking about his Christian freedom, and I go, you know, brother, I'm lactose intolerant. I have recently learned I can't drink milk. It's not sinful. It is really foolish. It impairs my ability to love my family well because I spend the whole day in the bathroom. This this conversation is taking a weird turn. <laughs> Listen, hey, I have a question. When when it says uh, for the household to enjoy drink, does that include the babies? <laughs> we're uh, we're uh, that's another episode. That's another episode. Uh, yeah, that's listen, episode. At, the, at the risk at the risk of uh, DHS being called, brother, you have a four year old. Do you remember when the child was teething? Did you think <laughs> Did you think about dipping that that pacifier in, into a strong drink? You know, I didn't because his teeth popped out uh, by I think it was three months. He already had most of his teeth. Goodness. We skipped baby food, man. We skipped baby food. Is great. There you go. Wow. <laughs> no, no, I, I wanted to read this quote from Luther. Because I thought it was prudent, and uh, Luther's uh, my favorite uh, <laughs> when it comes to um, quotable moments. Um, yeah. He says, "Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep, and whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer." <laughs> yeah. No. Man. Well, yeah. And, and I wanted to say, I think Scott, what you were talking about there was so so important, right? It's why being a a, vis- a member of the visible church in a local body of believers is so, so important because how can you be part of the body of Christ and be accountable if there aren't other believers that are looking with, that are there with you? Like, and, and to my other earlier conversation about like, we all get together and we go and we meet up at a pub or we meet up at, around a fire and drink beer, right? Okay. So those are the people that I'm spending my time with is the other members of the body of Christ. And so if I start to develop a problem, there are trusted brothers who can pull me aside and elders and now pastors in the church, right? Who can say exactly what you had to say, Hey brother, you need to stop. And I pray that never happens. I've been, you know, gratefully God has given me this aversion to uh, hangovers and to this, this disorientation that happens if you have too much to drink. And uh, I just don't like that. I enjoy the good gift and I don't really like the effect. Um, but at the same time, I'm aware that I'm human and I'm sinful. And while that may not be my sin, there's other areas where I need that kind of 
community. And I, I know this episode isn't about ecclesiology, but it was just, I, I love that you brought that in. And it's something that's so important in evangelicalism today, this mindset of like, I don't need the church. It's just me and Jesus. And it's like, no, no, we, we do need the church because we are the body of Christ in the church. Um, and so I, I didn't mean to get into like a ecclesiology. No, that's okay. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What that does, I, I think that does bring us to a close for this episode. I hope, uh, I hope if you are, uh, if you are a believer in Christ and you, um, have grown up believing that it is morally reprehensible, that it is sinful, that it is wicked for believers in Christ to partake of alcohol. And you've been led to believe that the Bible teaches that, then I hope, I hope what we've said is, is helpful and, and thought provoking because the, the scripture makes clear drunkenness is the sin, not drinking. And um, and so we can we we need not call sinful that which God has called good, and yeah. He has called wine and strong drink uh, good, uh, given to us for our pleasure and for His glory. So, Gage, uh, tell folks uh, how people can find out more about us. Absolutely. Well, we love to to hear more from you, especially if you have questions and you want to get into um, a discussion about any of this, you can follow us on any of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, you can also follow us on our website, assuranceofpardon.com or email us at contact at assuranceofpardon.com. We'd love to hear from you. This is Assurance of Pardon. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Distilling Theology. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording with our friends, Scott and Gage. And getting into some fun topics and some more serious topics. Uh, we always have a blast with those guys. Be sure to head over to Assurance of Pardon on Facebook. Give them a like. Subscribe to their podcast. We love the content. Uh, they are also members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters, a network of doctrinally sound podcasts from a Reformed perspective. You can get shows like Assurance of Pardon and ours at reformedpodcasts.com. Now, next week, Justin and I are going to be continuing your regularly scheduled programming, and we will be sipping uh, Johnny Walker Blade Runner Edition, or the Director's Cut, which was a release that uh, Diageo put out in correspondence with the 2017 film Blade Runner 2049. So we're very excited to taste that, and that whiskey was voted on by our Patreons, who got to see an extended 30 minutes of this episode, which is available exclusively at patreon.com slash distillingtheology. The Reformation started at the same time as the printing press, right? Like and God in his providence yeah. says, here's a medium to to get this information mass produced as quickly as possible. Big dominion. Right? And so in that, in that moment, like, what did those guys do? Well, they wrote like crazy. I mean, yeah. even even in the, the generations following, that you got the, all the confessions that come out. You've got the catechisms. You've got the Puritans who, like, I'm not sure that they didn't just sit in rooms and just write one book after another after another. It just feels like that, right? Banner, Banner of Truth continuously finds books that have never been, been published before or whatever, and you're like, how in the world is this happening? But, like, they understood that was their medium, and they ran with it because they, they thought – if we could outproduce the bad content with solid content, maybe we can get the gospel across. And so I, I'm of the opinion, well, man, look, we're in the internet age. We're in the podcast, you know, sweet spot where everybody and their mom listens to podcasts for everything. You know, websites are such a big deal. 
COVID is made live streaming a, a whole, you know, every pastor in America now has to become an expert on streaming services <laughs> just to be able to, yeah. to run a service. Mm. Um, and this is an opportunity for us to learn from our forefathers and go, okay, what does this look like? You know, and so we've, we produce the assurance of pardon. <clears throat> there, there's a podcast that Scott's wife and, and one of the interns, Billy, uh, does about children uh, how to how to disciple children in the church called nurturing and admonition um, the study of the children's catechism the probably who made you god what else did god make all things well, i've got yeah. all things so-